this show is for educational purpose and should not be taken as medical advice. Welcome to Let's Talk About Medical Cannabis with Dr. O, a clinical pharmacist certified in medical cannabis. Every week, you'll learn about alternative ways to improve your health and well-being using the healing power of botanicals such as cannabinoids. Here's your host, Lola Ahanba. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 12 of Let's Talk About Medical Cannabis with Dr. O. Thank you for joining me again today. I'm glad you are here. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Lola Ahamba. Everybody calls me Dr. O. I'm a clinical pharmacist certified in medical cannabis. Today we'll be looking into the role of uh, cannabinoid in the management of Parkinson's disease. Thank you for joining me. Before I go on, uh, this show, this episode is sponsored by WCI Health. WCI Health, we sell high-quality hemp-derived CBD. We have uh, the topical, the oral, whatever you need concerning your CBD products, you can check us out. We are on uh, wci-health.com. For those people that do not want to use oral or any edibles or cannabinoid product, you could try the cream or the balm that could help with uh, uh, localized uh, uh, pain or muscle contraction. So do check that out. Thank you so much for joining me. Also, before I go on, let me say thank you to all our listeners all our subscribers, I would like to say thank you for your support. And for those of our sponsors, Patreon sponsors, I am very appreciative of your financial support. If you would like to support the show, you can access all the information on our website, wci-health.com. You can access the uh, subscription information. So on today's show, we will be looking into Parkinson's disease. We will look at uh, what might be the cause of it, the medication, the traditional pharmaceutics that is used in the management of the disease. And we will also look at the role of cannabis, cannabinoid, in what way uh, might cannabis be of help to people going through this disease. So what is uh, Parkinson's disease? Parkinson's disease is a progressive degenerative disorder of the central nervous system. So it's a, it's a nervous system condition. It affects the system that controls movement. So when you talk of Parkinson's disease, the first thing that comes to your mind is movement. Generally, it normally starts uh, slowly and it's, uh, the tremors, the movement is barely noticeable in in some in some patient. The tremor starts from around the your hands area. That's uh, where it normally starts from. So apart from the tremor, patient also experience stiffness. There's slow movement. It could be soft or slurred speech. There could be lack of facial expression. Sometimes patients are unable to move or swing their hands around. That will be at the early stage of the disease. So what is the cause of Parkinson's disease? What causes this disease? 
The actual cause of the disease is unknown, but it could be due to breakdown of some nerve cells. So nerve cells in the brain is said to be responsible for the disease. It can be diagnosed by at least two of the following symptoms. When a patient is going through these listed symptoms, if you have two of them, that's one of the ways it's diagnosed. So these symptoms that is used in the diagnosis are resting tremor. That means when you're sitting down, you're not moving, but your body is kind of moving. That's called resting tremor. It also, if you also have rigidity, just stiffness, that is uh, another uh, symptom that we look out for. And also, bradykinesia. I know you'll be like, okay, dear doctor, who is back with all these terms? Don't worry. I will break it down to the best of my ability for you guys. So, bradykinesia is a kind of characteristic slow movement seen in Parkinson's disease. Brady just means slow and kinesia is kinetics, which means movement. So bradykinesia is a slow movement. You know, when you see a patient going through Parkinson's disease, that slow movement, that's what is called bradykinesia. So, and uh, uh, also the other way people, they diagnose the disease is if a patient responds positively to anti-Parkinson's disease uh, drugs, so any of those listed characteristics will tell us that a patient is probably going through Parkinson's disease. Also, apart from the listed symptoms, it's also said Parkinson's disease is also said to be due to a chemical in the brain called dopamine. These are chemicals that are found in the brain. It's called dopamine. So the reduction of the dopamine level in our brain is what leads to Parkinson's disease. So what are the factors that can contribute to this Parkinson's disease? Some of the factors that contribute to Parkinson's disease are genetics in nature. Studies have shown that genetic mutation or variation in the gene can lead to Parkinson's disease. Another factor that can play a role is environmental pollution is said to be contributing factors to this. And that will make sense. All these chemical toxins, it goes in the human body and it can cause mutation of our gene, which can lead to all form of other diseases, including Parkinson. One of the main factors that they've also found is what we call Lewy bodies. Lewy body, this is a substance found in the brain cells of people with Parkinson's disease. A lot of patients with Parkinson's disease, when they look into their brain cell, they notice that there is this kind of chemicals, kind of a compound, is proteinous in nature called Lewy body. The Lewy body serves as a marker to know who might have a Parkinson because it's seen in all the patients that are suffering from Parkinson. So it's used as a way of knowing that, okay, I mean, if you know what, what is common to all the patients, then we start looking for what we can do 
to remove whatever the issue is. This lower body is said to affect the memory, it affects the mood, it also affects the behaviors of patients suffering from Parkinson's disease. Scientists have also found a chemical called the alpha nuclein within the Lewy bodies. So for all the patients going through Parkinson's disease, they find the Lewy body. And when they find the Lewy body, inside the Lewy body, they find this chemical. It's a proteinous chemical called alpha-nuclein. So for patients, when the doctors come in or a caregiver comes in and they do the test to look in the brain, when they see the lower body and they see the alpha nuclein, then they can say, oh, it looks like we might have Parkinson on our hand. The body is unable to break down the alpha nuclein. So, and it serves a way of for people, I mean, to know that people have the disease. So this is a chemical in the brain that our body is not able to break down. So what are the risk factors for, for Parkinson's disease? What causes it? What are the risk factors? We know, we don't know what causes it, but what are the things that can lead people to have it. Mostly there is genetics, like I said earlier. Also, age plays a factor. Uh, as we grow older, there is the tendency for Parkinson and other form of disease to manifest themselves. Apart from genetics, we also have sex. So Parkinson's disease is common in male compared to the female. So it's uh, more prevalent in the male population. Like I said earlier, exposure to uh, environmental toxin is one of the risk factors. As a result of the Parkinson's disease, patient can also experience memory issues. That's in form of uh, dementia and difficult remembering things. So for patients that are going through Parkinson's disease, they tend to have dementia and other memory-related issues. They also go through depression, anxiety, and fear. There is swallowing problems. So for patients, when they are started having problems with swallowing, we, the caregiver will have to be on the lookout and watch out because when the patient is unable to swallow, this results in a drooling. So when they are not able to swallow their spit, this could lead to choking. They could choke on their spit. So a caregiver has to be on the lookout for that. Other symptoms that is seen in a Parkinson patient are incontinent. That is inability to control their urine so they can urinate on themselves. There is constipation, sleep disorder, pain, sexual dysfunction, hypotension. Hypotension is a, a sudden drop in, the, in your blood pressure. And also fatigue, can, they can also experience fatigue. It's a lot going on in the brain, you know. So when somebody is going through all these uh, scenarios in the brain, and we are talking about a lot of the time, this, this Parkinson's disease happens in the elderly population. I mean, younger people do have it too, but it's, it tends to be seen more in the elderly population. So when we look at that situation, people can get tired going through through all that. So how can we prevent it? What are the uh, things we can do to either prevent or reduce the manifestation of, of this disease? 
Research and scientists, they've shown that people that drink coffee or tea frequently have reduced chance of getting this disease. But more studies uh, need to be done along that line. So apart from trying to drink coffee or tea, what else can we do that could help in the slowing down of this disease? Other pharmacolo- non-pharmacological ways we could manage this is try to educate not just the patient or the person going through this disease. We need to educate the support system. Because if you don't know what is going to happen or what's going on, there can be that panic, there can be that fear, fear that comes with the unknown. So we need to not just educate the patient, but the family members, the caregiver that's going to be taking care of this patient. We also need to work on diet and exercise. This disease, it affects movement, it affects speech. So if one can prolong the manifestation of the of the disease that would be a great thing so we need to look at the diet and the exercise to help in the management of this disease so other than diet and exercise and education and support the pharmacological therapy these are the drugs the medication the traditional medicine that we use in the management of this disease The first medication that we look at is called anticholinergic drugs. These drugs, they help with the tremors and the dystonic features. When I say dystonic, what I'm simply meaning is the involuntary and the repetitive muscle contraction or twisting that is seen in Parkinson's patient. So the drug does not help with the bradykinesia. You know, like I said earlier, bradykinesia is just a slow movement. It helps with the repetitive uh, muscle contraction, but that slowness that is characteristic of a Parkinson's disease, uh, anticholinergic uh, drugs does not help. What are the side effects? For mild side effects, we have the dry mouth, the blood vision, constipation, urinary retention. It can worsen uh, BPH in, in, in patients. So, I mean, we already said that male population are more affected. So when we are using drugs, that is also going to affect uh, their BPH. When I say BPH, that is benign prostatic hyperplasia, just uh, prostrate constriction. That's what that really means. So serious side effects of the anticholinergic drugs are memory loss. It could lead to sedation. It could also lead to depression or anxiety. So when you look at the totality of the side effects of this class of drugs, what comes to mind is the elderly population. These are some of the issues elderly populations are already going through. So these are the kind of drugs we don't necessarily want to use in the elderly population. Examples of uh, anticholinergic is what we call benztropine or cogentin. Cogentin, these are one of the examples of the drugs that are anticholinergic. We try to stay away from those kind of drugs when it comes to our elderly population because of the side effect that is associated with those drugs. Another type of drug that is used is uh, called amantadine. This drug, amantadine, is effective for mild symptoms. 
especially for the tremor. When the patient towards the beginning of the disease, that's when this drug will be effective for, and it helps with the control of the tremor. It may also decrease the dyskinesia at relatively high dose. So amantadine, when it's on a high dose, say like around the 400 milligram per, per day, that will, it tends to help with the uh, slow movement as well. But the side effect that comes with uh, amantadines are sedation, vivid dream, dry mouth, depression, hallucination. Patient could experience psychosis or confusion. So when this occurs, one needs to probably reduce the dose or look for an alternative. Also, dose should also be reduced in patients going through uh, renal function or any patient that have kidney problem, they might want to reduce the dose or even try some other medication. One of the main drugs, in fact, the main drug, when you think of a Parkinson's disease, you got to think of the levodopa, carbidopa. Those are the main drugs that are used in the management of, of this disease. Ultimately, all the Parkinson's patients are going to be on some types of levodopa-based medication at one time of their life. This is the most effective drug. The levodopa drugs are the most effective drugs for Parkinson's patients. The drug is a precursor of dopamine. So we, like we said earlier, the body does not have, there's a decrease in dopamine level. That's part of what causes, in fact, that's one of the main causes of Parkinson's. So levodopa is a precursor of a dopamine. It crosses the blood-brain barrier because people will say, okay, if we have low dopamine, we might as well just give patient dopamine straight up. But the problem is that the Parkinson's disease, all the nerves we are trying to target is in the brain. And the brain is lipid bilayer. There's a lipid level in the brain. The Parkinson's drug like dopamine, they are not able to cross the blood-brain barrier. When you say the blood-brain barrier, that's the part of the brain that covers the brain, protects the brain from our regular environment. And brain is, of course, we all know how important and very delicate the brain is. So we cannot just allow anything just running and run out like that. So the blood-brain barrier is what prevents uh, any Tom, Dick, and Harley just jumping in the brain and coming out. So the dopamine is not able to move straight into the brain, but the level, the L part of the dopamine, that helps. It has this kind of uh, more lipophilic, we call it lipophilic. What that means is that it's more of a lipid. It's like oil and water. If you're trying to move something into an oily environment, you use something that has oil in it. If you try to get water 
into where you want oil to be, it's going to be difficult for a water-soluble compound to move into oil. So what you're going to do is you're going to need to package your water in an oily environment for you to be able to move it successfully. It's just like a capsule. You can put your water in a capsule and use the outside layer of the capsule, wrap it up in the oil so that it's able to transport your your water into where water is not allowed that's the same sense that is used here the liver doper is a precursor of uh, dopamine because liver doper can cross the blood brain barrier while dopamine is unable to so for drugs that are just dopamine based they are not going to be as effective as in a drug like levodopa that can cross that blood-brain blood barrier. So by crossing into the brain, levodopa is able to get more medication into the brain. So that's why the drug is very, very effective. The cabidopa part of it, for people that have maybe a family member that is going through Parkinson's disease, you'll see they will have a levodopa, cabidopa. The cabidopa part of the, the drug, it always helps in the movement, not just movement of the levodopa, but also uh, reduce the side effect. So because dopamine is unable to move into the brain, when it stays outside the brain, it causes a lot of side effects. So when we add cabidopa to levodopa, it not just assists in the movement of uh, levodopa into the brain by preventing chemicals from destroying the drug. It also helps to reduce side effects. So what are the side effects that is seen with uh, levodopa, cabidopa-based medication? One of the side effects that is seen is what we call end-of-dose wearing off or peak-dose dyskinesia. The end of, this is due to short half-life of the drug. The levodopa drug, the longer it stays in, the, the, how long it stays in your body is about one hour. So when it wears out in the body, it gives that end of those uh, wearing of soap. What happens is that you start seeing the symptoms more in the patient. Just like when you use your medication, you feel fine. As soon as the medication, say like a pain medication, as soon as it wears out, you start experiencing pain again. So in the case of this levodopa, it doesn't take long in the body for it to start working. And the other part, the peak dose, dyskinesia, that involuntary movement, that part is where I, when you initially take your dose, is concentrated in the body because it's so much medication at that particular time, you have a lot of movement. It's like you drink a, a very strong coffee. As soon as you drink your coffee, you have this rush of energy. That's the peak dose. That's what the best way to explain that. So how can we prevent this from happening? One of the ways we could reduce the dyskinesia part of it is to use the extended release form. When we use the extended release form of the drug, it doesn't just push the whole drug in the body at one time. It slowly releases it to the body, the drug, so you don't have that peak, those involuntary movement. And also for the end of those wearing, for the drug wearing off 
other ways that we could we could do that is to use the sustained release for muscle contraction. And we also use the sustained release formulation to control the muscle contraction, or we can use a baclofen or Botox. So those are the ways we could control the side effect that we see in the levodopa, cabidopa type of medication. Also, we can also use the, the patches that in that situation, the patches will release slowly so you don't have that wearing off effect of the drug. So apart from the levodopa, cabidopa, what other medication do we use in the management of Parkinson? The other medication that we use, these are added to the levodopa, like I said earlier, levodopa, cabidopa, those are the, the big guns. Those are the main drugs. But when patients start having maybe end of dose wearing off or the dyskinesia, we start adding some other stuff. So other medication that we can add is Compton, the they call entacapone. These are they bind, they use in combination with the levodopa. And what that does, it reduces the requirement of uh, the levodopa. Instead of using, say, like three pills, it helps to reduce the number of doses that you use. So you can use maybe two pills. And it also helps with the off time. The off time, like wearing off, it helps with that. It, it helps the drug to stay longer in the body. It increases the half-life of the drug. And it's also hair, avoiding the wearing off of the drug. So apart from Compton, other drugs that we use are called dopamine agonists. When you say agonist, it's just like a form of dopamine. But like I said earlier, dopamine, when we give dopamine, is a base drug. Because they have limited transition into the brain, it's not really as effective. But we still use it as an add-on. Examples of the dopamine agonist are the, the Mirapest, and that is Pramipezol, the Requip, or the Nupro. These are dopamine agonists. These drugs are used in patients that are having a worsening condition. Either they are having worsening situation or they are, their condition is fluctuating or they are not responding to the levodopa medication. So when a patient is not responding to, to treatment, we begin to add the dopamine agonists like the Mirapest, the Requip, the Nupro to help to have a kind of a addition to, to the drug. So what are the side effects of the dopamine agonists? We can have a nausea and vomiting. We can have what we call postural hypotension. Postural hypotension is when you're sitting down and you try to stand up, basically your blood pressure suddenly drop. And when blood pressure suddenly drop like that, the person can have what we call a syncope, which means they will they can faint and fall. And we're talking about most time elderly population. So what we do is we have to reevaluate to make sure the drug is ideal to be added to levodopa for that particular patient. Apart from the postural hypertension, you can also see confusion, sedation, lower extremities, edema, which basically what that means is the water is gathering 
on the lower part of the body, like the the feet, on your feet. So this one, when we start seeing edema, water in the feet, a gathering in the feet, we have to be careful, especially for patients with a heart failure patient, because they have the tendency to have edema too. So we have to be careful about that. We can also see the issue of psychosis and sleep attack and coercion the dyskinesia with a liver doper. So for the pharmaceutical management of the disease, after giving patient the drug, how do we know if it's working, if it's not working? How do we evaluate the outcome of the medication? What we really have to do is involve the patient and the caregiver to participate in the treatment. We need to encourage the family members and the patient to record time and duration of the on and the off period. Because like I said, the drug wears out. So when they know this is when my drug wears out, then you can add another medication to help. Or if this is the time they have the peak where they're experiencing shaking, we can probably reduce the medication. So we have to, it has to be all hands on deck when we are dealing with this uh, med, uh, this drug and uh, managing the disease. Uh, some of the symptoms uh, uh, are individualized. They are uh, what one person is experiencing, another patient might not experience it. So treatment for each patient is different. So the other way we evaluate the situation is make sure we look into other medication that the patient might be uh, taking. When we look at the other medication the patient is taking, we try to stop any medicine that is maybe not necessary for the patient, but it's worsening the side effect of the Parkinson's disease uh, drug. So we might have to stop or reduce some other medication the patient might be taking. So after we have tried uh, exercise, we have tried uh, traditional pharmaceutics and uh, our patient is still having problems, in what way can uh, cannabis be of help? How can cannabis help Parkinson's patient? For many years, people with Parkinson's disease have been praising cannabis for its ability to reduce tremor, which is one of the major symptoms of the disease. So many patients that have tried cannabis, cannabinoid-based product, they have testified to the fact that the drug, the plants, cannabis, cannabinoid botanicals have helped them with the movement, the shaking, the tremor that comes with, with, with this disease. Also, before the prohibition back in the, in the 19th century, healthcare provider doctors, they used to make the cannabis tincture and sell it to their patient for, to help uh, manage and control trembling. So back in the days before cannabis was prohibited, doctors' offices, they, they, man, they put together a compound, this uh, cannabis-based tinctures and oil and sell it to patients to use to help in the control of uh, trembling. Studies also show that cannabinoid can improve movement or in coordination in patients with uh, Parkinson's disease. 
the way it does it, it, it binds to the CB1 receptor in the brain. I mean, from the previous episode that we, we talked about how THC binds to CB1 and CBD binds to CB2. These are receptors in, in our brains that the cannabinoids bind to. I mean, we already have the, our own body that produces anandamide, which is uh, equivalent to THC, and 2-AG, which is an equivalent to uh, CBD. So studies show that cannabinoid can improve movement or coordination in the patient with Parkinson's disease by binding to the CB1 receptor. So we know THC binds to CB1 receptor. And we also know that CBD binds to the CB2 receptor, but it selectively binds to CB1 receptor. So it can bind, CBD can bind to CB1, it can also bind to, to CB2. So these cannabinoids have been shown to help with uh, movement associated with uh, Parkinson's disease. Studies have also shown that neuroprotective properties of cannabis may help brain cell death and prevent buildup of neurotoxin. Yes, evidence has shown that cannabis have uh, properties to protect the brain. They call it neuroprotective properties. And with cannabis being able to uh, protect the brain, this helps to prevent accumulation of the neurotoxins like the Lewy bodies and the alpha nocline. Studies also shows that some ratio of CBD to THC can help with muscle spasm, with nausea, and other side effects, pain, fatigue. These are all the symptoms that Parkinson's patient is going through. If you remember in our previous episode, we talked about depression, we talked about anxiety, we talked about pain. So we already know that Pack cannabis and cannabinoids are able to help with muscle spasm. They are able to help with sexual dysfunction. They are able to help with depression. All these symptoms are what we are seeing in patients going through Parkinson's disease. So this shows that if we get a ratio of CBD to THC, maybe a low THC, a high CBD product, this might be not just help, even if it's not going to cure the patient, at least it can help with the side effect that they get from the traditional pharmaceutics that the patient is using. So for those of you that have not listened to our previous episode, you might want to check it out. We've uh, really touched on a lot of things uh, in the past. So how is a patient going to take an abinoid? In what form? What if uh, I, maybe I'm hearing somebody say, oh, what if I don't feel like I don't want to smoke or I don't want I don't want to eat the stuff? How do I take it? Earlier, we mentioned that part of the challenges for Parkinson's patient is inability to swallow. So because they have the issue of swallowing, products such as oil, cannabinoid oils, cannabinoid tincture, or patches, or they can even use the suppository that goes in the inner part of the body. This will be uh, an effective uh, means for Parkinson patients, so you do not 
have to smoke. You do not have to vape. You do not even have to use the uh, like uh, cookies or brownies. Don't want to do it like that. The tincture goes in your, under your tongue and the patches goes on any part of the body. And what it does is that it goes straight into the bloodstream. It doesn't pass through the liver. It doesn't for people that have kidney problem. It does not pass through your kidney. It just it just goes straight into the bloodstream. And it also works faster too. So the effect is felt. I mean, for people that uh, have uh, that needs a CBD product, you might want to check out our line of high quality uh, hemp derived CBD on our website. We have the oil, we have the tincture, we have the BAM. So you want to check it out? It uh, will be nice. Finally, according to the article published in the Annal of Neurology, this is one of the publications where the clinical trials have been done, there is a probability of being able to reduce the risk of uh, having the Parkinson's disease for people that drink coffee, tea, and for people, some people that have smoked in the past. They say this reduces the risk of developing the disease. Basically, it increases our risk of not having the disease. I guess a lot of us, there's hope for us because I'm sure at least all of us have at least tried either coffee or tea, even if we don't smoke. So that will be, there's a hope, there's a hope for us. So that's our show for today. Thank you guys for hanging out with me again today. Please leave a review. I am begging. I'm asking you guys to leave a review on your uh, listening platforms. Uh, By this review, we are able to see how we are doing, if we are doing anything right or if we need to improve on any and it also give me motivation to know that I have people that I'm imparting live and that you want me to continue the show. One of those reviews that we got from one of our listeners, Nikki, Nikki left this uh review for us to say first of I've always loved listening to your podcast because you know just the right thing to say and you make podcasting seem so effortless. Podcasting, thank you so much, Nikki, for the review. I appreciate that. Podcasting is not easy, but it gives me joy to know I am making a positive impact in the life of people out there. That is the, one of the main reasons why I, t- I started the show. The aim is to be a blessing and to use what I know to be able to impact life. So I will appreciate if you guys uh, leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use for your listening. For listening. Also, you can also follow me on Twitter at uh, WCI Health. I'm on Twitter at WCIHealth and on Instagram at WCI Health 19 uh, And uh, until next time, please be safe out there. Follow the, the scientists. Uh, wash your hand. Uh, COVID is still out there. Be safe. Social distancing does not mean emotional separation. Let us check on one another. And until next time, always remember health equals wealth. 
subscribe on Apple Podcasts or any podcast platform. Support the show by becoming a patron and donating on our Patreon page or on our website. For more information, visit our website at www.wci-health.com. 